Wow, that's that's an excited one. That's great. It's awesome. Uh, Kim and Adam know that I hate being clapped for, so that's why they they did that. And so, um, yeah, I will think creatively of how to get you back. Um, hey, we're going to open up scripture together, and we do this every time we gather. I know uh, many of you uh, that's that's not news, but as we start this fall, we we um, are starting a, a new teaching series through a book of the Bible and. Um, we take time as we gather. It's one of the core reasons that we get together is to open up the word of God and to, to ask God, what are you saying to us through this? Teach us through this book. Uh, and from time to time, we go just pick a book of the Bible and go work through it. And so um, w- we're doing that. And one of the things that that does is it, it allows us to, to not set the agenda for ourselves, but, but to, to be on God's agenda that we don't, we don't pick what's happening. We, we work through a book of the Bible and what he's written to us sets our our agenda. Now, we, we believe that the book that we're going to be looking at, which is the book of Hebrews, uh, that, that that's timely for us and, and through prayer and, uh, and discernment, we've, we've identified this is a book for us at this time. Uh, and, and so we've had some choice in it. But as we work through it, um, long ago, God set the truth in the book of Hebrews for us. And so uh, we're jumping onto his agenda in that sense. And so if you don't have a Bible, grab one. There's ones on the side in the shelf uh, or find it on your phone or a screen that you've got. Um, but we're going to start at the beginning of Hebrew and spend uh, September, October, and into November uh, working through uh, the book of Hebrews, which we've called this series uh, the book of better things. And we'll find out more of why that is. As, as we dive in today. So uh, I'm going to pray, invite you to pray with me, and then, and then we'll kick it off and, and jump into the book of Hebrews. Uh, let's pray. God, we, uh, we're here uh, to meet with you. Um, some of us came in knowing that that's why we were coming. Others of us weren't quite sure uh, what today was about or why we're here. Um, but God, um, if we can just just state it clearly and declare it that we we need to meet with you we need to be with you we're designed to be tied in relationship with you you've created us for yourself and that is that is challenging to get our minds around and it's humbling to think about um, that you the god of the universe who created everything that has power beyond what we can fathom calculate or imagine that loves us more than we've ever been able to put to words or even experience to you alone define what is good, right, and just. That you've forgiven us more than we can imagine. That, that you are good. And so we, we want to be with you and we want to know you and we want to hear from you. And so, Holy Spirit, as God, we invite you to lead us into that and ask for your help in it. And even as we just sang those words to that song, it said that in every loss or victory, would our souls actually long for nothing more than to bring you glory. Um, I wish that that was true of me and every moment that all I thought about was your glory and how good you are and it's not. Losses often distract me and discourage me and victories often make me point to things other than you for why I experience them and, and yet you're gracious and patient and kind and call me back and would you do that for us today, Holy Spirit, draw us to you. And Jesus, as we look uh, to you specifically, as we sing of you, as we seek to follow you in our lives, would you guide us and teach us now as we look to your word? Would we see more of you in it and know you more through it? Would you teach us? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hebrews, if you don't know where it is, it's towards the back of the Bible. It's one of the last books. Um, it's on 
I don't even have a page. Page uh, 1095, if you have the exact edition of my Bible, that will be helpful. Otherwise, it's just towards the very back. Um, and if you hit Revelation, you went too far. But, but Hebrews is towards the back of the Bible. I want to read the first four verses as we start uh, together uh, in, in, this, in this series. So uh, it says this, verse 1 of chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. There's a, uh, there's an event happening uh, this, I think it's Wednesday, the 12th, 10th. Yeah. This Wednesday, uh, September 12th is an event that's happening. And some of you know about it already. Um, I I know about it and I hope that you don't think more or less of me just because I know about this, but, um, there's a a major tech company that is going to make kind of their annual yearly announcement. Does anybody know what that is? What company? Apple, Apple, Apple. Yeah, Apple. Uh, Apple is making their annual kind of presentation. And, you know, some of us are, are, are big fans. Others of us are, are critics and, and cynics. And, and we want to fight against the power of Apple. Uh, others of us just benefit and go with it. Uh, others of us are so grateful that I can have a phone conversation with my mom on an Apple computer so that I can understand how to help her over the phone. Because otherwise, it's just all for loss and frustration and words that I won't repeat here happen. So I'm thankful for Apple that I can talk to my mom and help her with her computer problems now. Uh, so some of us love Apple. Some of us hate Apple. It doesn't matter. They're making a big announcement. They do this kind of every year and they do it with a bunch of fanfare and they do it with a bunch of adherents that show up and just cheer and, and drip on every word of how great it all is and it's perfect and it's heaven on earth, that kind of a thing. So um, Apple's making an announcement. What if, I mean, their new phone and other other devices are going to talk about and say how wonderful they are. What, what if they, in announcing their new phone lineup, I think there's three that they're predicting of, of coming out with. What if in talking about them, they always say what's better about the year before and how they've made improvements and, and changes and, and, and the things that it can do that the previous one couldn't do and how much better it could do than this kind of thing. What if they said, hey, this is our new phone and the previous year weighed uh, approximately, I, don't, I have no idea, grams or I don't know how much, really light. And less, far less than a pound for sure. But this year, the new one they've designed and it's going to be, its weight is going to be exactly one pound. And the screen last year was, was amazing. You could watch movies on it. And what if they said the screen this year, the new phone is going to have a monochrome black and white screen on it. And what if they said uh, the last phone had um, two terabytes of space on it and this year's phone has... 50 kilosomes. It's a kilograms, kilowatts, kilometers, something. So there's really small. Um, And then they said last year's phone, I think it topped out at maybe $1,000 or something. And said this year's phone, we've decided a price point that we've done a lot of research and we've been really careful about. And we've decided the price point for this new phone that's coming out is going to be $1,800. 
great, a heavy phone that's black and white that has no space for even a single picture, and it's going to cost $1,800. Why is it so expensive? Well, we've done a lot of research, and we've been really careful with this, and we, we've realized that we can make the phone for really cheap and charge $1,800, because you'll all buy it for $1,800. So we're going, to make eight, we're going to make a lot of money on that. And what that does is that helps our income, and we make more money, and then our stock prices go up, and we, we grow as a company. And so we've decided $1,800 is, is good for us. So Now, if that happened, most of us would be able to hear that. And even with all this, the fancy slides and fanfare and all that goes on in the presentation, at some point, most everybody would go, that's not good. I'm, I'm committed to not buying that, and maybe even leading others to not buy that. And that's actually a step backwards from the phone that I have right now in my pocket, regardless of the name brand on it. We would be able to identify that. Most of us would be able to identify that. If, if you're puzzled a little bit, like, well, that, that kind of sounds like a good deal. It's not. Don't do that. So, but, but most of us can, can clearly hear that and go, that's, that's not very wise or smart. That's kind of dumb. That's a huge step backwards in a phone. I'm just going to charge my old flip phone, that's going to do more and better than than that phone that you just described. We would understand that. There are things in this this world and in our life that that we're really good at understanding what's an improvement and what's a step backwards, what's what's better and what's worse. But then there's a whole other area of our life that we're not as good as understanding that. We're not as good as discerning that. It's more confusing for us. It's, It's murky. We're not sure when it's a step forward and when it's a step back. What's more healthy or less healthy? I think one of those areas for us is when it comes to what's really meaningful in life. I think when it comes to what's really meaningful in life, many of us are like, well, I think it's this, but I'm not really sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk down this path for a while and see how it goes for me and mine and, and then reassess. I think when it comes to not just meaning, but to understanding who we are as, as human beings, and we do a lot of work and put a lot of energy into that. And we kind of go, I, I think this is who I am as a, as a human and what my identity is and what brings meaning into my life and what's fulfillment and when I, when I feel healthy and those, those kinds of things. And, and yet there's a lot of times when maybe that's, that's kind of confusing. It's not super clear. Another area is relationships, right? I mean, very, very few of us would say, you know what? From the time that I can remember every friendship and family relationship and boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, I have just absolutely killed it and hit it out of the park and done awesome in relationships. Most of us have stories of up and downs and confusion and great fulfillment and health and other times of struggle. And it's not really clear. It's, it's murky. Those are areas of our life where it's, it's not as clear what is better and what is worse. And this is why the book of Hebrews is written. This is why we have this particular book in the Bible, uh, Hebrews written. It's because we struggle to find clarity on what's truly meaningful in life. We struggle to to come to a clear identity of who we are and why that matters. We struggle to to figure out what relationships are best and what health looks like and what a lack of health looks like. And so Hebrews is, is written because we're searching for those answers and for clarity in our life and for help along the way. And so God's given us not just all of scripture, which is true, but particularly the book of Hebrews to say, when you're, when you come to those things in your life where you're murky, if if it's better or worse, and particularly these, these ones that are so core to what it means to be alive and living a full life today, like meaning and identity and relationship, we need some help. We need some clarity. And Hebrews offers us the answer. 
And if you've been around here, if you've read scripture for any amount of time, the answer is, is not new or shocking as it comes from Hebrews. But it's really clear and it's said over and over and over throughout the 13 chapters of Hebrews in a ton of different ways. That it's all about Jesus. That Jesus is, is actually the help in answering the questions of what's really meaningful in life. And Jesus is the answer of, of who we really are. It tells us where we came from and why we're here and where we're headed. Jesus is the answer when it comes to relationships of, of what relationship is most important in our life that shapes the rest of our life and models for us what health looks like. Jesus is the answer. And Hebrews points us over and over and over again back to Jesus. It says this at the very beginning as we read. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in, in various ways. That God had been speaking, that God has always been speaking to humanity. He's always been reaching out and wanting to be heard and wanting us to, to see him and know him. But Hebrews says in, in the past, and this is a, a book that's written probably 30 to 45 years after Jesus has ascended into heaven. Jesus lived some 33 years, was crucified on the cross, buried in the grave, conquered death, rose again, spent 40 days hanging out with his friends, and then ascended into heaven. And about 30 years after that point, maybe as far as 45 years after Hebrews was written, and it points back to Jesus as being the one and the answer and the one that's better and above everyone else, every other way of living, every other answer we could come to. And at that, at the point where it starts, he's saying, Prior to Jesus, God has been trying to get humanity's attention in so many different ways. It says, spoke through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And if you look through the Old Testament, you can see all of the ways. Moses, uh, he spoke to Moses through a burning bush. That's, that's awesome and creative and bizarre. And I'd, I'd love to have one of those experiences. Um, he led the people through a, a storm and thunder in the desert for 40, for 40 years. He, as, as Joshua was appointed leader and, and went into the promised land, he spoke to him through the angel of the Lord. Elijah, he spoke to Elijah in a still small voice he spoke to Hosea through a family crisis spoke to a lot of us through family crisis as well I, I, don't, I don't know any of us here where we were married to a prostitute and all of that means in the prophet Hosea's book and how God's love and grace is poured out so beautifully through a family crisis there God had spoke through the prophets in many ways at various times in all these different ways and it says, but there's a change. It says in verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So God changed the way that he was communicating with humanity. Instead of all these different ways that have gone in the past, God, God changed. And the, the only reason any of us changed the way that we're speaking, the only reason we do that is because we want to be heard. We have something that we believe is important. That we want others to hear. And so we change the way that we're speaking. We can change the form of it. We can change the, the context of it. We can change the volume of it. We can change so many different things. New words, new, new methods, new mediums. But the reason that we change how we're communicating is because we have a sense of urgency that something important has to be heard. And God is doing that. And he says, there's something important that I want you to hear. And so I'm going to change how I'm communicating with humanity. And he says, he, he begins communicating through his son. I've spoken to you through his son, my son, God says. And this is what it says. Whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. And Jesus was involved in all that. And then it says this. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. What we're hearing from God as he says, I'm speaking to you through my son. is it, It's like 
It's like the radiance from the sun. The word, the word radiance actually paints this picture for us of, of the sun, the, the center of our, of our solar system. And the, the planets rotate around and, and we survive as a planet because of the, what, the heat and the light from the sun. What God is saying is that, that his sun is like the radiance from the, the sun, S-U-N. That Jesus Christ is like the radiance. And it'd be like us trying to, trying to separate the impact of the sun, S-U-N, from its, its light. The, the rays of, of sun, the, the, the heat and the light that the sun provides. We wouldn't separate that. It's, it's one and the same. And God is saying, it's, it's me. It's one and the same. And he says it again in the exact representation. And, and we hear those words exact and representation, and we, we, we understand a little bit of what it means, but those were very precise and technical words, actually. That exact representation painted this picture for people. They said, oh, I, I know what that is, and we just hear it differently because it's some 2,000 years later, but in the, in the first century, those words would have meant a, a process where an artist would have looked at a ruler, somebody in charge, a king, or somebody in authority, and would have drawn a picture of them that then a... Then, then somebody would have taken into a uh, uh, one that works with metal, and they would have cast, made a cast of that of that drawing, so that their face was represented. And then they would take soft metal, and they would impress it upon that. So then, on the soft metal, the, the hard cast, the picture of the the representation, the the drawing of a ruler would have been pressed into soft metal that was made into coins. And then people would take those coins, and they would exchange them. And they would know all the while that this is the person who's ruling. This is the person in charge. And I, if I saw them and I held the coin up to them, it would look like them. I wouldn't be able to identify who it is. And later on, that same technology, if you would, grew into the, what we later, centuries, centuries later, became the, the printing press. Those same things grew into that so that we would have words written and would understand their meanings. And we referred to those as, as characters that make words and sentences and stories and truths. And they point back to, to something. And when we say we know somebody's character, we have the precise, exact character of where that comes from. That, that what we have in Jesus is an exact representation of God. And in the person of Jesus, God shifts and changes how he's communicating. And there's a reason he does that. He doesn't just want to be heard, although that is a major part of it. He wants to be experienced. What we have at the beginning of Hebrews is God saying, I, I love you so much that all the stories and all the things that have gone on previously aren't enough. That now with a sense of urgency, I want you to understand who I am and my character, what kind of God that I am. And so I'm going to come and be with you. My very radiance is going to be with you. My exact representation. I am going to be with you in the person of Jesus. And so Jesus isn't another, just another prophet in the long line. He's not just another priest. He's not just another ruler. He's God in the flesh. That God shows up and he's with his people. And the reason he does that and what he wants them to experience and what he wants us to experience is being connected relationally. Knowing the God of the universe. And in Jesus, we see who God is. And we hear here in these words that he's the creator of the universe, that Jesus was involved in creation. We hear that Jesus saves. In the very next verse, as it continues on, and the rest of verse 3 says this, after sustaining all things by his powerful word, after he had provided purifications for sins, that's the process of crucifixion that he went through, never sinning, 
crucified, paying the price for our sin that we can't pay on our own. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That Jesus comes as not just creator, but he saves by giving his own life. He rules, says he sustains everything. If you picture that, uh, that old image of Atlas holding up the globe, that's the kind of idea that it is. That, that Jesus, and he's, not underneath, he's not like underneath us holding up the planet. He's entwined with the planet, sustaining it, keeping it together. That's what that word means. He's sustaining our very existence on this planet as he does with all of creation that we haven't even discovered yet. Universe is unknown. That Jesus has that much power. He holds it all together by his powerful word. That he saves it, he gives his life, and that he, he rules, that he sits with God. It says this is his right hand. I don't know that God has a right and a left hand. The imagery is that he's right with God. He's one and the same. He's there. He creates, he saves, he rules because he loves and God says, all that's gone beforehand doesn't, doesn't fully allow you to see who I am. And so I want you to know who I am. And so I'm going to come and be with you as broken humanity, as messed up, as fighting with one another, as sinning, as greedy, as prideful, as selfish. He says, I want to step into all that because I love you that much. I'm going to be with you. And it goes on to say, which hardly seems necessary at that point, but he says, so he became as much superior to the angels and again, I don't, I don't know if you're asking the question, who's, who's better, Jesus or angels? Um, but the book of Hebrews actually starts with a, a very clear statement that Jesus is better than the angels. We're going to get into that next week, but you might be wondering, why is that even important? We'll figure that out together next week. But over and over and over throughout the book of Hebrews, we hear that Jesus is better than anything else. Why do we need to hear that now? Because we have so many other options We're pressured from every side. We have untold ways to go to look for satisfaction and help and contentment and pleasure and meaning in our life. And it's murky for many of us, especially in our culture today. We've said this often that that we live in a post-Christian culture. And and for many of you, that might be a new term or it might be obvious what it means. but, But for our history as a nation, it's easy to think, oh, we're a Christian nation. And certainly there's so much debate about that. But the reality is, is to the degree that was true, it's been undone now. And particularly for those of us that live on the coast, either the west or the east coast and in urban centers like we do in Portland, Vancouver area. It means the, the leaders and the influencers and the authorities of our day do not trust Jesus, do not take scripture seriously. And so we we live in a time and a place and a culture that is in one way or another opposed to Jesus. And as each one of us and us collectively as a church seek to live for Jesus in our, our time and our age and in our city, it becomes more and more challenging. And we're pressured from every side with so many options. And so the book of Hebrews in this context at this time is so timely because it's 13 chapters of going over and over and over again how Jesus is better than any other option. And just about every single one of us has spent some time in our life walking down a path, listening to another voice, finding another master other than Jesus. And so Hebrews says, this is why that's foolish. This is why that's a waste because Jesus is better than any other option. And so we're going to hear it from a first century context and it's going to help us and it's going to equip us and it's encourage us in our 21st century context. And so we need this for today. It's a helpful word. It's a necessary word. At the very end of the book, in chapter 13, verse 22, it it says this. 
Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact, I have written to you quite briefly. I don't know if you consider 13 chapters brief or not. Compared to other Old New Testament books, it's, it's actually not super brief. So we might define that differently. Um, not quite so briefly, but yeah, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, but I encourage you to read this book this week. Um, 13 chapters, it's not super short. But more importantly, that word exhortation. Uh, exhortation means this. It's like the next level up from encouragement. So if you want somebody to do something and you encourage them, um, we kind of know what that means. When there's no movement or nothing happens, the next level, you need to turn the dial a little bit, it becomes exhortation. Another word would be urging. We could say, I'm encouraging you to do this, or I urge you to do this. If Apple announces a a phone that is $1,800 and has a black and white screen, I don't want to just encourage you not to buy it. I want to exhort you not to buy it. Um, I don't think it would be wise. I think it would be foolish. Throughout the book of Hebrews, after every, every time that it says, look, this, look how Jesus is better than anything else, than anyone else, it's followed up with a, with a warning, with an urging, with an exhortation that says, so live in this way. And we want to be, become more and more like the people that are, that are described in the book of Hebrews that were warned to, to live in this way, to respond to the goodness and the superiority of Jesus above anything else and become this kind of people that's described here. One way we're doing that as a church is knowing the context in which we live, knowing that we live in a post-Christian context in an urban center on the West Coast. One way that we're, we're exhorting ourselves to be this kind of church is to intentionally invest in the next generation of leaders who will step into our context and into our culture and influence for Jesus and not be swayed to follow another voice or another master. And so today we're going to get to do something unique that we do once a year, and that's those that have applied and been accepted into our leader and training cohort for this next year. We're going to bring up on the stage here, and we're going to commission them off into their year. And so would you welcome them as they come up forward here? If, uh, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with what, a, what our cohort is, it's a... Uh, uh, it's a two-year uh, commitment to be invested in by uh, a spiritual mentor and a staff supervisor. Uh, each of these leaders have a, a role of, in, in the life of our church where they're, where they're leading. They're not just serving, but they're leading others, and we're equipping them to do that. Uh, there's a monthly meeting where we go through some teaching content and time with the mentor. Um, there's books that they're reading. There's a couple of retreats that they do. Uh, and our entire goal is to, these, these leaders in training, that they're given opportunity to learn hands-on learning, to be invested in relationally, that they would grow up and, and be not just disciples, but, but, but also leaders in the church for their life. Not necessarily that they're on a church staff or anything like that, but they're a part of a local church for the rest of their life and they're influencing others for Jesus and leading them. And that's a, that's a high task and a high goal. And this is our, I think, our ninth cohort uh, as a church. And we've seen it over and over and over that God blesses in significant ways and, and takes them to all different places. We've got people that are literally around the world that have gone through our cohort and around the nation serving Jesus in, in many different ways. And so we get to commission them um, this morning. And so we, again, are just honored to, to be church family with you and honored that you would give time and effort um, and, and serve us as a church. And we're going to benefit so significantly. Um, so thank you. And, and you guys just, you look really good. So I think there's a, I don't know how many that is, 14 or, or something. We've got another, I think we've got 
I think we've got 20 this year, which is our, our biggest ever. So that's not all, all the all the pictures, but I'm just really excited. Here's how we do: whenever we send anybody into anything, we're just sending them off into this year. As we just extend a hand, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for them, invite you to pray with me, and, and we're just gonna kind of send them off into this year, and then they're gonna serve as communion. And so we've got uh, two tables down here, one in the middle, and two uh, upstairs, and they're gonna kind of disperse and, and find their way to a table and and serve us. So if you're comfortable, ex- extend a hand. I'm gonna jump back here. Can you scoop forward just a tad? Um, Great. Um, Extend a hand and we're going to pray and commission them uh, together. God, um, you're good and uh, we're humbled to be a part of your mission uh, to love and restore this world. And um, we're excited about it. Um, We love being invited into that work and yet in many ways we feel so inadequate. And so for you to to call us to this as a church, to call these 20 individuals for this next year to to grow and and serve. Um, We're just deeply, deeply grateful and excited. And Jesus, I ask for each and every one of these uh, in the cohort that they would be stretched, uh, that they would go through the process of of learning and struggling and failing to succeeding and and being fruitful uh, and growing. Would you change who they are as we talk about meaning and identity and relationship, would you truly form in them what it means to be a follower of, of yours? Uh, that they would grow as, as your children, sons and daughters? And then secondly, would they be fruitful in what they do in their endeavors of how they're serving and leading us as a church? Um, would you just, would you surprise them in the way that you're able to work through them in the lives of others, our church and our city and our world? And so God, we entrust them to you and we wait patiently to see what, what it is that you're going to do. Would you also work through the mentors and the staff, supervisors as they lead them? Would you do amazing, beautiful things this year through this cohort? We send them off and knowing that they love you and that you're going to use them. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that we hope for as a church is that we become, one of the, one of the verses in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says this, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Our dream is that these leaders that we just prayed for would be able to look back and say that about us as a church, that that we spoke the word of God into them and that we've lived a life that they can imitate. And that's a high calling. For each and every one of us, we want to return regularly to this table, this this story of, of Jesus that he gave his life his body broken and his blood shed. And so as you're ready, as we continue to, to worship, would you come forward and take a piece of bread that represents Christ's body, dip it in the juice, and know again that God in these days has spoken to us ultimately and superior through his son who is above anyone and anything else. And so let's worship together as we come to the table.